Funding for the Hinckley Report is made possible in part by the George S. and Dolores Dore Eccles Foundation and the Cleone Peterson Eccles Endowment Fund. Thank you for listening to the Hinckley Report as a podcast. If you like what you hear, please subscribe at your go-to podcast platform. Promotional support for this episode of the Hinkley Report podcast is provided by Trib Talk, an award-winning news podcast from the Salt Lake Tribune. Join host Benjamin Wood, Tribune reporters, and community guests as they dive into the latest topics affecting Utahns. Find Trib Talk at sltrib.com or by searching for Trib Talk on most major podcast platforms. Tonight on the Hinkley Report, the race to become our state's next governor grows more crowded as potential candidates officially launch their campaigns and try to raise big dollars. Utah's leaders in Congress play an important role as impeachment proceedings go public. And the Supreme Court considers the legal status of dreamers, an issue that hits close to home for Utahns. Welcome to the Hinckley Report. I'm Jason Perry, director of the Hinckley Institute of Politics. Covering the week, we have Damon Can, associate professor at Utah State University. Kate Bradshaw, director of government affairs at Holland and Hart. And Matt Canham, managing editor for the Salt Lake Tribune. So glad to have you all with us. We're going to start talking about elections, but we have two newly elected officials here on the Hinkley Report today. Damon, Logan, uh, mayor of North Logan City, just elected. Yes. And of course, Kate, just uh, ele elected also as Bountiful City Council. Thank you. Glad Very to have impressive. you both. I guess we're the two non-elected folks. So let's yes. talk about some that are trying to get elected. How okay. about that? Let's do it. Uh, because uh, your story was the first one I read, Matt. Uh, we have a new entrant, a new uh, candidate for governor for the state of Utah. Talk about this, Governor John Huntsman, former right. governor and ambassador. What does this do to this race with him saying he's going to jump in? It's huge. I mean, I think one thing you got to think about is this is a man who's already won statewide twice, and he did it by pretty significant margins, not just among in the primaries with Republicans, but uh, in the general election, it was obviously a landslide. He's the only candidate that's going to be in this race who's actually won statewide before. You add that on to being part of a prominent family, a long public uh, history of public service, as well as this universal name ID. He is the Goliath that Lieutenant Governor Spencer Cox identified him as yesterday. I think some people can say whether, you know, can challenge the Lieutenant Governor, who's also a prominent candidate, of whether he's actually David or not. He's a pretty prominent person, too. But it's, it's undeniable that John Huntsman uh, just drastically changes the landscape of this race. Uh -huh. Okay, so it's interesting because Lieutenant Governor did immediately send out a tweet of a picture of David and Goliath. Is that what this one is? Uh is that, is that kind of story? I don't know that I would say it's David and Goliath. Uh, you know, John Huntsman obviously has this, you know, right. storied past, as, as Matt just listed. But, you know, Spencer Cox has been out on the campaign trail. Um, he's been out visiting cities, doing a, doing a tour. He released a list of mayors that have endorsed him. Uh, I know he's 25 yeah, mayors. Yeah. Yeah. I, he's he's been in my list. city. My, my mayor was on that list as well. So, um, you know, I don't, I don't know that it's David and Goliath, but there is definitely going to be an interesting matchup going forward. 
board, let alone all the others that have also hinted therein or, yeah. or, or formally declared. Mm -hmm. So, so Dan, give us a sense of, of the why here. I mean, that seems to be a question people are talking about with, with John Huntsman. Uh, from what you've been reading and the people you're talking to, why has he decided to jump in, do you, do you think? What does he hope to accomplish? You know, I think that's something that hasn't been entirely clear at this point as to exactly what Huntsman's motivations have been. And I think one of the keys for him to be able to be successful in this race is to do a good job of articulating to Utahns why it is that he is coming back and seeking this office again. Yeah, uh, what kind of assurances do you think he can give? Because that does seem to be the question. I, you know, uh, and, and Spencer Cox, again, one of his quick replies was, I, I, I promise that if I do this, I will serve the full uh, full term out, won't leave for anything else, not a stepping stone. That's some of the language we saw from the Cox campaign. And I think that Huntsman probably needs to do some things uh, like that to assure Utahns that he's here uh, for this office and here to stay. What the former governor told uh, the reporters of the Salt Lake Tribune is that he has done international service. He has been involved in politics broadly. He's seen what it is, and he's ready to downshift back to the state, something where he can have more tangible uh, impacts on issues that are important to an area that he cares about. That's the line he's going to push. It's interesting, though, that what you pointed out, I think, will be one of these crux of the race, is, is Governor Huntsman's um, experience as an ambassador and leaving our, his last term as governor to be the ambassador to China a negative or a positive. You have Spencer Cox who's going to say he's a guy who's using this as a stepping stone. He's going to leave again. The governor's response to that is to be a good governor in, in today's day and age, you have to have connections internationally. You have to be competitive nationally and internationally. And who's better suited to do that than me? I do think that that one debate will be a really interesting uh, line to track through this whole uh, election. I also just want to point out before I forget that we should always, I should always mention that Paul Huntsman is the owner and publisher of the Salt Lake Tribune and he is Governor Huntsman's brother. Okay. Uh, okay, let's talk about a couple of points that, uh, that, that just came up, whether this is a plus or a minus, because uh, what, what you mentioned was, was correct. The lieutenant governor said, I'm never going to leave if I'm in, the, in this role, and I'm only going to run for two terms. Clearly, that's the counter to uh, some of these comments about Governor Huntsman. Tell us how that plays, a plus or minus. Well, the interesting thing is they're making these, uh, these comments now, but their first audience is likely going to be delegates and then maybe a full Republican primary. So it's, it's interesting, and as, as we all absorb it now as, as Utahns across the spectrum, how that weighs for you. But if you're a delegate, I think that's a little bit different. And I think the delegates will be thinking a little bit more about um, issues that are less international and a little bit closer to home. Okay, so how do you play the delegate game? Because that's gonna be so interesting because that's not the only way to get on the ballot now as a Republican, right? No, there's two, there's two different ways that you can get on the ballot. You can pursue a signature gathering path, you can pursue a caucus convention path, or you can do both paths. I would be willing to bet that most of the campaigns, most of those that have declared or are thinking about declaring, will probably pick the dual path. If you're a serious candidate, I don't know why you wouldn't pick both. Um, I'm both a, a county and a state delegate for the Republican Party. I don't necessarily have a, have a hang up with, with candidates that pick a dual path, although I might be in the minority of delegates. <laughs> but, but what would you think as a delegate, or maybe some of the people you're with, if uh, someone just bypassed entirely? If you have uh, John Huntsman, for example, says, uh, I'm, I'm just gonna get signatures and go. Would the delegates 
What will they say about that? The delegates will absolutely make a point of, of raising that as an issue, that he, that he wants to be the Republican nominee but did not come through the caucus convention system. Now, you know, delegates are, are a, a small group, um, so, you know, having a small group but also a very active and loyal group constantly message against you could, could be a factor of why you'd, even though sometimes that's painful, go the dual path. And he has said he's going the dual path. We asked him that question mm -hmm. because it has been such an issue in our election, electoral system. And the governor said that he is going to collect signatures and he will be at convention. Okay, so, uh, maybe just talk about that for just a moment there. Do you, do you, do you see that every candidate, I'm going to talk about something that haven't even announced yet in just a moment. Do they all do both paths? even if they have a chance of losing there at convention? That's a, that's a great question. And as I look at it, uh, some of the candidates that are not yet announced, I think, have their best base with the delegates. Uh, uh, Greg Hughes uh, has a half million dollars in the bank uh, that he's raised for this race, and he's a much more natural candidate to appeal to the state delegates than either Huntsman or Cox. And so I think the goal for, for candidates in the mold of Huntsman or Cox is make it through uh, the, uh, the, the caucus convention phase without raising too much kerfuffle with, with some of those core partisans yeah. and then be ready to make their case to a more moderate uh, uh, general Republican audience uh, across the state. Mm -hmm. Let's talk about a couple of those. So you mentioned Greg Hughes. Uh, mm -hmm. The panel, do you think Greg Hughes is in? Yes. I think you wouldn't raise money like that if yeah. you wasn't. <laughs> <laughs> if a half a million dollars not to run for governor, that would be weird. And, you know, the former House Speaker is formidable. And I actually think has a unique difference between a um, if you compare him to Cox or to Huntsman, is he is a, you know, 100% Trump supporter. He is going to bear hug the president in a way that Cox and Huntsman mm -hmm. definitely will not. And I think the primary in this election is going to be so fascinating. If you have five, six candidates on the ballot, none of these people are going to get a majority. You're going to win with a sliver of the electorate. And so what path you take, you know, it could really change this race. Well, let's talk about that because what we call that is a plurality issue. Yes. So you have that with, with uh, Greg Hughes. Uh, Kate, what about Thomas Wright? Because it's another one that may pull from uh, the, the farther right end of the spectrum as well. Yeah, uh, Thomas has served for a long time as the Utah Republican Party National Committee man. Um, he's worked long in politics. Um, he was a very successful county party chair before he was a state party chairman mm -hmm. too. So he knows the delegates. He, he has spent a lot of time with delegates. Um, he would likely fare well with delegates, um, but he's also not without resources, and I imagine he would also um, signature gather as well. Mm -hmm. uh, a couple other candidates. Let's talk about those that have announced a little bit, Damon, uh, and a little bit of their, their path forward. Uh, so we have uh, Jeff Burningham, who uh, a businessman, an, invest, an investor, does a lot in the IT industry, really trying to get out around the state, too. What, what is his path? Uh, I think Birmingham probably, uh, like the other candidates, has to pursue both paths. Mm -hmm. uh, at this point, the race with so many people, uh, so many of the other candidates gathering signatures, I think anyone who doesn't make an effort in that direction, unless uh, they've, they've really got a clear path with the delegates mm -hmm. to the primary election, if you want to be relevant in this election, you have to gather the signatures. Mm -hmm. uh, Amy Winter-Newton? Exactly the same thing. I mean, I think both with Amy Winter-Newton and with Birmingham, the fight is, in, and with some of the other candidates like Wright and Hughes, it's about name ID. When you have Huntsman and Cox that are just better known, the first fight is just for people to know your name. That's why we see Birmingham going up with radio ads this week. Mm -hmm. uh, and I think Amy Winder-Newton is known in Salt Lake County, where she serves on the Salt Lake County Council. 
but this is a statewide office. She needs to introduce herself and make her name known and throughout the you know population centers and then start working through the rural counties. I think that there's a lot of work there which actually just dovetails with what you talked about with the delegate process. Mm -hmm. Those are very um, uh, interested Republicans who are in involved. It's a natural place to start building your name. So why wouldn't you start there when you're trying to just get people to know who you are? Mm -hmm. uh, uh, we better talk to us two more in, in case I'm missing anyone else. Rob Bishop, Spencer Eccles. Those also names we're hearing. Likelihood of them jumping into this race? I think there's a very good chance that we see at least one, if not both of them, uh, get into the race. Uh, again, uh, you know, one of the exciting things I think for Utahns about this is to see the the wealth of political talent that we have uh, coming into the race. But it's it's going to be a tough decision. Uh, but you know, we we have a lot of attention, a lot of uh, saber rattling from those two. And you just don't do those kinds of things if you're not looking to get into the race. Uh, just before we leave it, uh, any names out there you're hearing uh, for the Democrats that are going to be jumping in right now? They've been oddly kind of silent to, to a large extent. But I, I think that's a great strategy, though, because right now, right, Huntsman announces the news is going to be all about Huntsman's announcement. In fact, I think part of the reason why some of these others haven't announced is because that can take the wind out of their sails. Uh, even today, tomorrow, next week, if, if someone announces, uh, right now the news is all about how populating the Republican field. I suspect that there are uh, 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 several Democrats out there getting ready, but let let the news cycle of who the Republican nominees are work its way out, and then you can can have your own moment when time comes to announce uh, for a Democrat that you're serious about getting in. It means I have to ask then, how long do these other candidates need to wait after the announcement uh, that happened yesterday? Well, two um, weeks, three weeks. Well, you got to do it. Yeah, yeah you got to do it in the next couple of weeks. The conventions are what in March? Yeah, the conventions are coming up. Plus, you're entering the holiday season. Yes. You know, I mean, the closer yeah. you get to Thanksgiving, the closer you get to Christmas. Uh, the, the public's focus, you turn toward family, you turn to those yeah. holiday events, and it's just a hard time to get the attention. We'll also enter our legislative cycle. That will draw a certain amount of attention away. Um, we may have a special session. That will draw attention away. And so, yeah. Finding your window is going to be tricky in yeah. the last quarter of the of the year. It's going to be interesting to watch. It is. It's going to be a great race. Let's talk about another family event: impeachment proceedings. <laughs> okay. So, Matt, I know that you've been watching yes. these closely. Uh, what new turns have have taken now that officially today is the second full day of testimony? Right. You know, it's interesting. I, this thing, even though it's moving at a very fast pace for Congress, um, for people who've watched it, it's it is expected, right? These were testimony of people who already gave 10-hour depositions in a private mm -hmm. session. Those depositions have then been released, so we've read what they're gonna say. So you're looking at these small changes. It's all about public perception. And as someone who's not in Washington and is not in the middle of it, it does feel a little bit like we're just playing out what is expected with an outcome that we all kind of know what's going to happen. It's kind of bad theater, isn't it? It's, like, it's, it's like, 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 do you need okay. to memorize that script? And so you're going to have the Democrats trying to use this to bolster a case that they think that there's something worth impeaching the president on. And you have Republicans trying to say, is this really as bad as they're saying it is? I don't think it's as bad as they're saying it is. And then it's probably going to be a party line vote for impeachment. And the real process will be in the Senate. Um, Right now, this House is playing out these public hearings. There could be a dozen of these in the next week or so, two weeks. And then it goes to the, judi the Judiciary Committee. Then it goes to the floor of the House. They're hoping they can finish this by the end of the year. Um, 
Congress is never, ever good at hitting a deadline. Uh, so we'll see how that goes. Uh, but I haven't, I mean, while I think they're, it's interesting, you know, sometimes is people who are political junkies in the theater prior to it, I don't know how new it is. Okay, D Damon, t tell us about this. Is this really just the dance right now with the, with the kind of outcome that's almost certain, at least in the House? And how are Utahns feeling about it? So I, I, I would read it in that way. Uh, you know, we've been watching uh, Trump supporters and Trump detractors work through different issues and events for, for over four years now, stemming back to, to during the course of the, the Trump campaign. And at the end of the day, the pattern we observe is people who supported him before support him still, people who opposed him before oppose him still. And it's hard for me to imagine, based on what we've seen so far, a lot of minds being changed. Uh, Utah's an interesting place when it comes to Trump, though. Uh, and uh, um, I, I'm, I'm interested to see, especially, if, if there is a place you might expect a little bit of movement, I, I would think it would be here. Uh, it, it's hard to figure out how to be popular as a Republican in Utah now, and it's because of Trump. Uh, you, you watch, uh, you know, uh, Mitt Romney is very strident in his criticisms, and he's underwater. Chris Stewart uh, is very strident in his praise uh, of Trump, and he's struggling with his popularity, uh, and, and it's really made things hard uh, and, and will continue to be in this election cycle under the shadow of impeachment for Republicans in Utah to know which way to go on this That's issue. Interesting. Talk about Chris Stewart for a second since you brought that up, because he's been more vocal this week and our only member that's actually on the uh, National Security Committee right now. It's Okay, that's uh, looking at this. Yeah, I mean, so far he's uh, saying that, uh, even going as far as calling this a coup, uh, and uh, has been uh, shifted from, you know, during the campaign, uh, throwing a few uh, criticisms in the direction of the president to being one of his strongest advocates in, in Congress. It'll be interesting to see how that plays out with his constituency. Yeah, do you think Utah voters, uh, is it still split on? I, I, it's a division, and I just don't know where to draw that line. Uh, these guys are really smart, well, though. Chris they Stewart may has know. decided where he's drawing the line. Uh, you know, he is a Trump supporter. Uh, it's going to be announced today that he's co-chairing Trump's campaign here in Utah. While sitting on the impeachment hearing, so we're not really wondering where Chris Stewart's vote's going to go on this one. Um, he's he's drawn a hard line. He's defending the president, not just in these hearings, but on cable TV with regularity. He's you know read some of these transcripts, and he's come up to the conclusion what the president did is not impeachable. Uh, so that's where I think like I think the House is pretty. Wired. We've seen the votes to start this impeachment inquiry. They were very party line. It would have to be a, I don't even know what kind of bombshell it would have to be for someone to change their vote, just because of the pattern we've seen with this president mm -hmm. in particular. Interesting. Uh, Kate, I want to switch gears to, uh, to what's happening locally. You've been involved heavily in the tax reform uh, debate that's been going on, you know, representing some clients as well. Uh, but we talked about it in the program. We need to know what's happened since, you know, over this last week. Uh, what's the current developments? I think Governor Herbert said it best when we were having extra innings of tax and session this summer. That's what we've done. Um, so the legislature has been engaged in a, uh, a tax task force um, all summer. And they finally have finished their listening tour. They've been back to deliberating and studying uh, uh, different topics um, that they feel will help with what they think is a structural imbalance. Too much money in our income tax silo that we've set up via our state constitution, not enough in our general fund. Um, they have now released, the task force has now released a draft bill. Um, it includes a lowering of the income tax. Um, it, it includes a, an expansion to a small number of services. Um, 
it does include a, a putting the sales tax back on food, the full sales tax back on food with some offsets for a grocery tax credit. Um, there are some targeted uh, income tax reductions to increase the child deduction, um, to do an intergenerational poverty tax credit, and also to not tax Social Security income. So it's it's pretty wide and sweeping as the proposal sits today. Mm -hmm. uh, Damon, uh, I would break out a couple of those pieces. One, just because it has even ties to our first conversation today with, with John Huntsman, uh, restoring the sales tax on food. Uh, is, is this a potential wedge issue even in this race for governor? I, I think this could become a very big issue because that was one of Huntsman's signature moves uh, in the course of, of his governorship. And uh, it seems to be one that has been fairly popular. It'll be interesting to see how uh, uh, Spencer Cox and uh, the Herbert administration and other candidates approach the tax reform question with uh, a signature Huntsman issue on the agenda. With, with all these issues surrounding it, I'm just, I'm kind of curious right now, why now? And maybe you're gonna have some comments about that, Kate, because this is this is not an easy thing they're trying to do, and there's still great controversy, even just about that, that point. Uh, you know, uh, when, when I speak with legislators, they say they're genuinely concerned about the welfare of the state's budget. Uh, what other underlying issues might be there, I, I, I trust Kate to, to weigh <laughs> in on. Yeah. Uh, the, you know, the interesting part is um, there is some, I think, divide between the House and the Senate. Uh, you know, the, the House is very much led out on this issue. Um, the governor's office, to a certain extent, has as well. It was included in, in Governor Herbert's 2019 budget to do tax reform and an expansion to services. Um, but the House has, has been very much the driving part of this. And I think it is Speaker Wilson's deeply held belief that there is a structural imbalance. And his across his legislative career, he's always worked on budgetary issues, long-term planning issues. He came into office at the depth of the recession, and I think that does kind of, uh, kind of give the underlying uh, color commentary to why he feels so strongly about structural uh, issues within our, our finances. Uh, since you're kind of in those rooms where they're talking about right now, uh, is there any consensus between the, the, house, the house and the Senate? Because word on the street is maybe they're not quite together on this one. You know, it's interesting because, uh, you know, the House, uh, in working with you know, former Governor Huntsman, was the driver to take the sales tax off of food. The Senate has a number of times toyed with the idea of putting the sales tax back on food. That's seen as being something in the current draft proposal that's out there that was a, kind of a give to the Senate. We'll yeah. put the sales tax back on food. Um, the expansion to services, that's sort of something the House wants, and that's where that is, although the list is much whittled down from where it was proposed during the session. Okay, just one more point on this one, Matt. Uh, yes. We still have not resolved uh, sort of what's going to happen with education. Right. All right, uh, describe what was kind of what's happened there and where you see that one going on. So this is such a complicated bill. When you talk about the sweeping nature of all tax mm -hmm. policy, well, you talked about the silo for income tax. That income tax goes to education. And there are lawmakers and legislative leaders who think that that should be removed, that there should be ability to use that surplus in, in income tax in a variety of ways around state government. Obviously, people in the education community are not thrilled with that idea of losing that guaranteed funding in a system that they think is still underfunded. So that debate um, is like, a, you know, it's, it's overarch, it hangs over all the tax reform part. But it won't be decided by this tax reform bill because that's a constitutional requirement. You've got to go to voters to remove that. So that's going to hang over all of it, but it's not necessarily right in this legislation well, itself. Well, how, yeah, I have a couple for you, Damon, but, but Kate, what are they saying they're going to do if uh, the tax plan is built around this earmark that they put to the voters and the, what if the voters say no? Does the whole thing, the, the House of Cards fall down? It does create a, a, a very serious problem if 
they build a tax reform package that is contingent on being able to move some of the siloed funds back into one general state mm -hmm. checking account, and the voters say no. Um, we'd probably have to go into a special session to probably, you know, tweak yeah, some things. Right. Um, a lot of the discussions right now seem to hinge on, because public education shares that siloed funds with, with higher education, of perhaps setting a floor. We're the only state that does it exactly this way. Other states designate a, a percentage of, of a certain type of tax to education, and that's where the discussions mm -hmm. seem to be having right now with the education community is, can we guarantee you a certain floor we will never drop below in a commitment? And if I were if I were in public education, I would be saying, let's put that in a constitutional amendment and make it a little harder to never drop below that, that floor okay. if that's where it goes. Lots of options on that. We'll follow that one closely. Uh, uh, Damon, I, I want to get to an issue that happened on a national stage with very local implications. The United States Supreme Court heard a case on DACA, on the people that have this designation, the dreamers as we call them. Uh, what was the case about? Uh, so uh, DACA, Deferred Action Against Childhood Arrivals, uh, is a program that allows children uh, who uh, were brought here in their youth to be able to stay here. They came here uh, arguably not through choice of their own, but were brought here by their parents. Uh, and it was uh, enacted by uh, executive uh, action only uh, during the course of the Obama administration. And this has been something of a target during the course of the Trump administration, uh, Trump uh, wanting to roll back. Uh, and, and this is one of the challenges. When you go an administrative strategy than working through Congress, another president can come back and just as easily as one president waves the, the, yeah. the wand and makes it happen, it, and the next president can make it go away. Mm -hmm. So a good explanation. So Utah is maybe a, a little bit uh, different than what you might get in other parts of the country on this particular issue. Uh, why is it? We have uh, 10,500 of, of these uh, these students and others inside the state of Utah with this designation. Sure. And, and uh, so Utah is a really unique place to talk about this because there are a number of things that make Utah Republicans different from Republicans nationally. And one of them is attitudes about immigration. Uh, we send a lot of... Uh, of, of people uh, on missions for the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints uh, out to other parts of the world. They come back here, they have this, this strong affinity for people in the countries where they've served, as well as Utah being a, a, a global marketplace increasingly. And you combine those things together and, and uh, it, it shapes uh, Utah's attitudes about immigration in different ways to where this uh, is a program that Utahns are more likely to support relative to Republicans elsewhere. Mm -hmm. You know, we also have this interesting history of um, our pioneer ancestors or settlers of our state being religious refugees and um, coming to a place so they could find safety. Um, and because of our religious influences and because of the missionaries that have been sent out across the globe and have brought um, the the Mormon faith worldwide, a lot of people have then done second waves of migration to Utah. In my family, I have pioneer ancestors that came in handcarts, and I have pioneering ancestors that came much more recently, um, you know, through Ellis Island. And that um, kind of understanding of those family stories of struggle, I think places us in a different spot for a, a new generation that feels like they were fleeing mm -hmm. different types of adversity and wanting to achieve the dream we have here in Utah and in the United States. Okay. It's going to have to be the last word, but we'll watch this court case very closely. Thank you for listening to this podcast episode of The Hinkley Report. If you like listening to the experts talking about the issues, please leave us a review on your favorite podcast app.